From Upstate Medical University in Syracuse, New York, I'm Amber Smith. This is HealthLink on Air. As most children grow and mature, they make regular visits to the pediatrician's office. At some point along the way, various sensitive subjects may arise. Here in the HealthLink on Air studio to talk about how to address sensitive subjects is Upstate Associate Professor of Pediatrics, Dr. Beth Nelson. Welcome back to HealthLink on Air, Dr. Nelson. Thank you for having me back. In terms of the doctor-patient relationship, as a pediatrician caring for a newborn baby, who's your relationship with? So it starts really with the parents or the close caregivers, and it can be anybody from aunts, uncles, grandparents, close family friends, but we really focus on who is going to be providing most of the care for the child. So it's whoever's bringing the child to the appointment, probably. Most of the time, yes. All right. And... That changes over time, though, right, as the child grows? Sure. So as a, as a child grows, we start to include the child more and more in our interactions and um, start to include them in um, the discussion about gathering history, doing the physical exam, offering advice, asking questions. And as the child grows older, we start to direct more and more questions towards them. At what point do you stop having the parent or the caregiver in the room with the child? So we always include the parents or the caregivers with the children and the teenagers in in the room. They are an important part of taking care of the kids. So kids don't grow up in vacuums. They grow up in families, which are in households, which are in communities. So the biggest thing that we can do for to advocate for the health of children is really to involve the parents and the caregivers in their care. So even when you approach, when we have patients who are approaching the adolescent age years, we always want to start with parents in the room. And I also often end with the parents in the room to kind of close the encounter. Okay. So you get a kind of a good idea of the type of relationship that the child has with their parent. Sure. And we can often see it just from walking in the room and not even saying anything to see what the temperature of the room is. Okay. Well, that's good information to know too, right? Mm Mm-hmm. How does a pediatrician go about building trust with the child? Because that's pretty important to have, especially as they get into the teen years. But what do you do to build that from the beginning? Sure. So it starts with the regular checkups, I think. So seeing a same or similar faces whenever they come to the office, having us do the same types of things over and over again, asking the same kinds of questions. So I've been at Upstate um, since 2006. That's when I finished uh, medical school. And um, I have patients that I've taken care of since then because I've been here continuously. So I've just gone through a whole bunch of 13-year-old well child checks. And when I first started taking care of them, it was really getting to know the family and the social situation and kind of everything that was going on at home. But now it's much easier because I can walk in the room, have more of a social type of visit, have a very casual conversation where I get through everything. Um, do what I need to do, do all of the appropriate things that have to get done in the course of a well-child visit. But it's much um, a much more calm, casual approach. Because you know them. Yeah, because I... Because they've grown up with you, Because they've grown up with me, yeah. And I've had that opportunity to build rapport. And it can be very difficult to do that if it's the first time you're seeing a family. But it's very important to stay open-minded, ask open-ended questions, sit down and make good eye contact when you're talking to the family, because that all tells them that you're engaged in the care of their child. 
So uh, let's talk about the 12 or 13 year old. What, what regular checkup? What does that consist of at that age? So, so sure. So a regular checkup of for kids of all ages starts with the rooming process. So getting uh, growth parameters. So weighing, getting a length or a height depending on the age of the child, um, getting vital signs. So blood pressure, pulse, temperature, etc. And then. Um, checking hearing and vision for kids that are um, old enough to be able to cooperate with that. And the nurse typically will ask, or the nurse or the person rooming the patient will typically ask, are there any concerns you need to talk to the doctor about today? And then when we go in, we for well-child visits, we have several things that we want to talk about. We want to talk about if there's any current concerns, review any past concerns, um, changes in, past, in their medical history. We want to make sure that we talk about nutrition. We want to talk about sleep. We want to talk about development and or school performance. We want to... Um, talk about bodily functions, so peeing and pooping, and for older um, girls, we, we talk about menstruation and periods. And then um, we talk about family history, and we also talk about social history. So in younger kids, the social history stuff is who lives at home, does anybody smoke, who takes care of the child, do they go to daycare. As kids get older, that includes the school history, school performance. But then it when you start to hit that preteen and teenage years, then we start to talk more and more about other things in their social situation. So friend groups, image, um, and then we start to get into the more sensitive types of topics, including um, sexual health, drug and alcohol use, um, and mental health issues. So, so that's kind of tied to the maturity level of the individual child. Too. It is. It is. For a developmentally appropriate child, starting to have this conversation, even as early as 11, is, is appropriate because you're setting the stage for what's going to happen when this, when this child turns 13. Because at 13 is usually between 12 and 13, depending, again, on the maturity age of the child. That's when we start to um, have more confidential conversations with the patient. You're listening to Upstate's HealthLink on Air. I'm your host, Amber Smith, and I'm talking with Upstate pediatrician Beth Nelson uh, about sensitive subjects that may arise during a pediatric visit. Now, you listed a lot of areas that you talk with um, the, the child about nutrition, sleep, school performance, all of those things. They could all bring up an issue that's pretty sensitive, right? Absolutely. So this could go in many directions, right. it sounds like. Right. So if you have a, par a parent in the room... And the child either gives you a nod or a shoulder shrug or doesn't really want to offer any information about it. That's um, why one of the reasons why it's really important to have that confidential time alone with the patient to be able to, to talk about those things without the parent in the room. They might not be comfortable talking about it with the parent right. in the room. So you have to read the body language. Absolutely. There's a lot of nonverbal communication that we have to pay attention to. So what are the sorts of sensitive subjects that a pediatrician in this community might encounter and how do you handle them yeah so there's so there are a number of different things i think um it, this is common for all pediatricians and these are important things for all of us to address so reproductive and sexual health so um asking if um so it's kind of starting kind of with a softer type of question so are you interested in boys girls or both have you been talking to anybody i try to couch things in terms that they understand so um, dating or seeing someone is not something that kids really say these days, I've learned. It's, are you talking to someone? So asking them, because if I say, are you dating anyone? They say no. no. But if I say you're talking to someone, oh, yeah, I'm talking to a couple of girls. 
Um, and then I ask, have, do you have any questions about the way that your body's changing or developing? Have you had any sexual experiences? And sometimes you actually have to describe um, in detail what those sexual experiences are because they may not understand. Because if you say, if you ask someone, have you had sex? They might say no, but they've had oral sex. Okay. So you have to get specific because they may not consider... They may consider like penetrative sex as sex. They may not consider oral sex in that category. So you kind of start soft and then and then move um, kind of closer to the core of the question. Same for drug, alcohol, and tobacco use. So um, I kind of start that questioning with, um, do you have a good group of friends? Do you have a best friend that you can talk to about things that are bothering you? What do you like to do with your friends? Any of your friends smoke cigarettes, vape? Um, smoke weed, do drugs, do you do any of that kind of stuff? So you kind of start in the outer circle and move move closer and closer. Can you get a sense of whether they're being honest with you? I hope they're being honest. I try to take them at their word. Um, you know, the parents sometimes will have concerns. Well, I think he's doing drugs with his friends. And then you get the patient alone and you say, you know, it sounds like your mom's really concerned about that. Do you have any comment about that? Do you, are you concerned about this? And they may say one way or the other. And it's, it could be frustrating if you feel like you're not getting more than a shoulder shrug or a grunt or a nod. Um, but hopefully you've developed a good relationship with that parent, um, with the parents and with the child over time, that you get the honest questions, that they feel that you are a trustworthy doctor. Do you promise not to tell the parent? I mean, because you're kind of in the middle there. Absolutely. We're, we're very much a go-between when it comes to things like this. So when I have... So after I, I ask all of those other questions about like school performance and everything else, I, I ask the parent to step out of the room. For patients that I've known for a long time, I literally turn to them and say, I'm kicking you out now. <laughs> um, <laughs> and when we train our, our resident pediatricians, I say, you have to use the words that, are, that make you the most comfortable to do that. I say, I'm going to, or I'm going to ask you to step out of the room so I can have some time with your child alone. And I'm going to do the exam. And I usually ask these sensitive type questions while I'm doing the physical exam because then it's like we're not sitting staring at each other and making awkward eye contact from across the room. I often sit next to them on the exam table so they don't have to look straight at me. So I can do some physical exam things while I'm sitting next to them, listen to heart and lungs, uh, look in ears, that kind of thing. So that way they don't feel like I'm staring at them and making right. it really uncomfortable or awkward. Right. Um, so when, when I ask the parents to step out is when I, when I say, is there anything you want to talk about without parent in the room? Um, and if it's something, if it's a patient that I don't know very well, or if it's the first time we're doing this, I say, this is a time for you to talk to me about stuff that you have concerns about that you're really not comfortable talking to your parent about. I said, this is a, I also add that this is a confidential time. There are some instances where I will have to tell your parent. I, I will have to tell your parent if you are actively suicidal, if you are um, actively threatening to kill somebody else because you're putting yourself at risk or you're putting somebody else at risk. I also say if um, we start to talk about things like eating disorders where I'm worried that you are at risk for doing more damage to yourself than I will tell your parent I said but for most of the stuff that we're going to talk about it's just between you and me so what if a child brings up you know that they've been sexually abused not necessarily by the parent mm -hmm. but by someone right what are you as the pediatrician able to do with that so I try to provide them a safe space in which to talk about it and sometimes they just don't and this is this has definitely happened before where um, they, they say, I, 
I think something happened or I'm worried that this was, I was touched inappropriately or something like that. I say, okay, well, have you told, I ask if they've told anybody, if they've talked to their parents about it. And sometimes yes. And sometimes no. I say, okay, well, I, because this happened to you, I have to tell other people about this, but they're people that I work with. They're people that I trust and people that I know, and they're going to get you help that you need. It's, we're going to have to, you know, do a physical exam. Um, and your parent might have to talk to somebody. So I'm going to help you talk to your parent about this because that's, it's important, especially in that, um, particular situation. It's very important to, um, have the parent as a partner in this. The child should not have to go through this alone. And we're very fortunate in Syracuse that we have the McMahon Ryan Child Advocacy Center, and they have a lot of resources to help kids and families that are in this particular situation. What if a child, uh, a female requests birth control? That's easy. That's easy? (laughs) It's very easy, yeah. So in New York State, there's New York State law that actually protects reproductive health rights for minors. So um, if even if she's as young as 11 or 12 and says, comes to me and says, I'm thinking about becoming sexually active or I want birth control because whatever the reason is, their parent actually doesn't have to know about it. The parent does not have to provide consent for that. So because it's considered a a mature topic that if they are mature enough to be able to ask for it, then um, the parent does not have to provide Mm -hmm. consent for them. So New York state of minors considered under the age of 18. Um, So that's easy. So then we just talk about what all the options are. I have a nice little sheet that shows them all of the different options, whether the pill or the patch or an IUD or an implant, whatever it is. And um, I said, I say, you know, the best type of birth control is the one you're actually going to use. And we go from there. And then, but then I also say, have you talked to your parent about this? Would you like help talking to your parent about this? Sometimes they're like, I don't want them to know at all about this. And that's fine too. But I, I do offer to kind of be the go between when it comes to that. Have you ever encountered um, a child who's not been vaccinated and asks you and says, I want to be vaccinated? That has not happened yet. Um, I'm surprised it hasn't happened yet. Um, but it's only a matter of time, especially with the new New York state law and vaccines. Um, I've had it happen with other things. I've had it happen with mental health treatment. Um, my mom doesn't, I, I, I'm expressing, like the patient is expressing symptoms of depression or anxiety, and they want to either start on medications or they want to go to therapy, but their parent is very hesitant to allow them to do that, or they don't believe in medications, they don't believe in therapy for whatever reason it is. And we we can work around those things. Well, yeah. Well, thank you for talking us through all of this. This has been very interesting. Well, thanks for having me. My guest has been Upstate Pediatrician Beth Nelson. I'm Amber Smith for Upstate's podcast and talk show, HealthLink on Air.